You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Week in Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Lauren about a very sad event that's happened in the Hillsdale community lately. Then we'll be hearing from me about a recent visit Governor of Florida Ron DeSantis made to Hillsdale's campus. And then finally, we'll hear from Jillian Parks about a whole variety of things that have been going on in the Hillsdale community lately. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Lauren, my co-host and the assistant opinions editor of The Collegian. And this week she wrote a couple of pieces. Uh, The first one that she wrote is a little bit of... um, a more serious, somber story. Um, And that's because it's about the untimely death of a professor's son um, and how the Hillsdale community has been responding to that. So Lauren, tell me a little bit more about this story. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I would just like to say that I was very honored um, and I felt very privileged to have written this piece because I got to talk to a lot of people who knew um, John Owen Habib, Um, which is the son of associate professor of politics Khalil Habib. Um, And he died on April 11th from a rock climbing accident. Um, But I got to learn a lot about John Owen and the life that he lived and the kind of person that he was through speaking to a lot of the politics professors who um, are friends with the Habib family and some who knew John Owen. So um, I felt very honored that I, even though I did not know John Owen, I got to learn a little bit more about his life um, that he lived um, through these professors. He was a pretty remarkable young man, wasn't he? Tell me a little bit about what you learned about him. So one of the things that Dan O'Toole, lecturer in politics, told me is that all of Dr. Habib's best qualities could be seen through John Owen. So he mentioned how John Owen was very optimistic. He was bold. He was intelligent. And he made the most of the life that he lived. He was very passionate about music. He was a self-taught guitarist. And if you go on the GoFundMe account that was organized by his brother, Jordan Habib. There's actually video of him playing the guitar on that account. And I mean, he was just phenomenal, like unbelievable that he taught himself how to do that. But something that Dr. O'Toole also mentioned to me is that he had a lot of the same passions as his father. He was very interested in philosophy and economics just like his father was and so he said a lot or some of the conversations that he had with John Owen were concerning the same things that his father was very passionate about and he was a student at Brown University studying Chinese philosophy and economics so definitely a very intelligent and talented young man. Tell me more about this GoFundMe fundraiser that the family made. It was organized by his brother, Jordan, like I said earlier, and 
I don't remember the exact day it was started, but I remember looking at the GoFundMe when it had only existed for six hours. And there was more than $100,000 that had been donated. And Jordan had written on there that his brother was involved in a catastrophic um, fall when he was rock climbing in Morocco and how he had a lot of injuries and at that point he was in a coma that they weren't sure if he was going to survive and so they were asking for donations so that they could fly him home back to the states and uh, be able to take care of any medical bills that they may have and unfortunately um, he was not able to make it back to America before he died, but I was able to email with college president Larry Arn, and he told me that the college was working out a flight for John Owen to be on to be flown back to the States, um, and Ar Dr. Arn said it looked like that was going to be something that was going to be organized, um, but as the GoFundMe stated, as they were on the phone getting the final estimate, the final quote for how much it would be to fly John Owen back, they received news that he had passed. So unfortunately, wasn't able to be back in the States when that happened, but we do know that the college was supporting the Habib family through prayers and emails and text messages and through Dr. Arm, we also know that they were part of trying to help arrange a flight to get John Owen home. What are the funds from this GoFundMe going to use for now? On the GoFundMe account, it states that John Owen always had a passion and a heart for those who were less fortunate than he was and how he had so many beautiful and wonderful opportunities at Brown and felt bad that not everybody could have access to those opportunities. And um, he had mentioned several times that he would have loved to start some sort of fund or foundation to basically help kids have access to more opportunities that he had access to. And so the account states that people can continue to donate and this will help realize John Owen's goal. Some people were a little bit concerned about you writing this story so soon after his death. Um, but I understand that that was not the case for Dr. Habib himself. So tell me about your communication with him and what he thought about you writing this story. The hesitation by students was most definitely understandable, and I even was a little hesitant at first, um, but I was encouraged by my journalism professor to reach out to Dr. Habib, um, mainly because, like, the number one reason is because we wanted to make sure that we had the family's permission, because even though I had contacted or I had spoken to four different uh, people on faculty, it didn't matter if we didn't have their permission. 
And so I reached out to Dr. Habib and he said, of course, you guys can run this article. And I told him that the purpose of this story would be to honor John Owen and to honor his life and to honor the Habib family and just kind of let people know what's going on, who's going to be covering his classes. And Dr. Habib seemed to be very grateful for that, uh, sent me many emails following our first exchange, um, just telling me more about the beautiful life that John Owen lived. And you can just really see that he had such a tender father's love for his son. And um, the day that we were emailing was the day of his death. And he had nothing in his heart but absolute love and gratitude and was just telling me so many things about his son and how much he loved him and how proud he was of him. And I feel so honored that he told me these things about John Owen and we were able to use them in the story because it really helped paint a picture of the wonderful person that he was and our number one intent was to honor John Owen Habib and his family and through speaking or through emailing with Dr. Habib I feel like we did just that and so I feel again just extremely blessed that Dr. Habib was able to communicate with me and trusted me enough to tell me about the beautiful life his son lived. It's a heartbreaking story and there's just not much more to say beyond that except that it has been a good example of the strength of the Hillsdale community and that's something that Dr. Habib talked about right? It is. He well he was very grateful to Hillsdale 100%. He said that um, people have been very supportive and he said there's not been one moment that and he said that there's not been one moment that he has felt alone or his family has felt alone or unsupported and he also made it very clear to me that um, he and his family were extremely grateful to um, Brown University and the Brown community because like Hillsdale they had also been very supportive and want nothing else but to honor John Owen, which is all you can really ask for as a parent, I would imagine, is just people remember your child and honor them and think of the beautiful things that they did with their life. And I think Brown University and definitely Hillsdale College did just that and will continue to do so. So on a little bit of a lighter note in the Collegian, you did also write a story this week about uh, the history of the mail pouch tobacco barn in Hillsdale um, and also across the United States. So tell me about this. What was sort of the catalyst of this story? And then what are some of the details? Yes. So I wanted to write this story because I've kind of been on the barn beat. Um, I've actually talked about barns a little bit on the Collegian Week interview already because Meyer... Um, the new grocery store that's being constructed in town um, actually removed a historic barn off of their property, um, which is like, you know, 
totally understandable. You're building a grocery store. You can't keep this old barn that's falling apart, you know? Um, But it was a historic barn because it was a male pouch tobacco barn, um, which is something that's kind of been a staple in American history since 1891. And so when I saw that this barn was getting removed and I found out there was actually another barn in Hillsdale County that was removed um, a few years ago, a, a male pouch barn, I kind of wanted to uh, take a national issue or maybe not so much issue, take like a national American staple and kind of like focus on our relation to it, to Hillsdale, but also talk about how it's not just a Hillsdale thing. It's a very much American thing. And so that was why I wanted to write this story. So tell me more about the, about male pouch tobacco and how it became sort of a fixture of the American landscape. So there was a tobacco company called the Block Brother Tobacco Company, and they're actually now called Swisher. They used to be Swisher International, but now it's just Swisher. They are still a tobacco company that exists today. And so I talked to a board member of the Hillsdale County Historical Society, Morgan Morrison, and he was talking to, he was talking to me about male pouch tobacco barns and he said it was a brilliant marketing idea because it was kind of like a win-win situation because farmers needed their barns to be painted because if they weren't painted they would fall apart because of like the weather conditions so whenever this tobacco company was offering barn owners to paint their barns in exchange to advertise the tobacco company I mean, they didn't really have a reason to say no. They're like, oh, sweet, like free, fresh coat of paint. You'll come every 10 years or so to do some touch-up work on the advertisement, and you'll pay me $1 to $2 a month. Like, I mean, that's a pretty sweet deal for the farmers, especially because paint was expensive, and so not every farmer could afford to buy paint. And this was obviously started back in the 1890s and so there were no major like interstate highways and so most barns were located on main roads and so they were seen by millions of Americans and it was like I said earlier just kind of like an American roadside staple that used to be a very normal thing like this was kind of their form of billboards and it was something that also showed how agrarian our society used to be and so I thought that was like really neat how we still had like little forms of agrarian society, even in Hillsdale right here. We've talked about this on previous episodes of the Collegian Week in Review, but for people who may not have listened to those, what is happening now to this barn that is in Hillsdale? Yes. So good news. The Hillsdale County Historical Society was kind enough to contact Meyer and ask if they could have the one side of the barn that has the advertisement. And the advertisement says, chew mail pouch tobacco. Treat yourself to the best. That's what all the advertisements say, and this Hillsdale barn is no exception. And from what I heard from Morgan Morrison, Meyer was, like, thrilled to help out. And so the Historical Society actually has, like, 
the wood that has advertisement right now, like it's in their possession. They're just waiting to finish construction on one of their museums to display it. Um, but right now it's in it's in the hands of the Historical Society and it will be preserved and people can look at it from years on and remember the barn. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Lauren. Yeah, of course. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Maddie, my wonderful co-host and the news editor of The Collegian. This week, she wrote a story about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visiting Hillsdale College last week. And she was one of the few lucky students who actually got to attend his speech in Searle Center to cover it for The Collegian. So, Maddie, tell us about Governor DeSantis's speech. Yeah, so this was uh, a privilege to cover I'm a Florida resident, so, um, you know, it was great to be able to see my governor speak at my college, sort of random, you know, uh, just a little college in the middle of Michigan, and the governor of Florida comes to speak. Um, But, yeah, it was a great opportunity. Um, It was not open to students, but I was able to get in with media clearance, so I was there specifically for the purpose of reporting on um, what Governor DeSantis and Dr. Arntu spoke um, and, and what they said. So the main idea of the governor's speech was about how to be an effective leader, really, was the core point um, of that. And especially in the context of all of the issues that we're seeing nationally and in Florida in particular, in terms of education. Um, so he talked a lot about K-12 education as well as higher education Um, And how in a lot of those areas, leftist ideas are creeping into public institutions and he's fighting against that. And so he talked about how he has had to learn how to work within a constitutional framework, uh, which means, you know, there are these precedents that are set. There are rules that he has to follow, but he has to work within that framework in order to serve the people of his state And also he said he sees it as his responsibility to protect the people of his state from, you know, these sort of inflammatory leftist ideas that are getting into public institutions. I know that Dr. Arn and Governor DeSantis had a little conversation where questions were asked and DeSantis would answer them. So tell me how that went. Yeah, that was um, great to listen to. Just to, you know, Dr. Arn is obviously a very knowledgeable, wise man. And then Governor DeSantis is very accomplished. So it's cool to see them speak with each other. Sort of like a collision of my worlds, just on a personal level. You know, my governor and the president of my college. My favorite question that Dr. Arn asked, they were they had been discussing, you know, the nature of an executive position, especially in American government and in a constitutional framework. And they'd been discussing the things that Governor DeSantis has done in the state using that power that he that he has and, um, you know, like dealing with the responsibility of it and what that means. And then Dr. Arn asked him, so something along the lines of what would a president do about this? So I thought that was very interesting. A lot of people right now are sort of projecting that DeSantis will announce a presidential run. Um, for 2024. He has not done that yet at at the time of recording this episode, but it's something that 
people are looking at and apparently Dr. Arn is thinking about it too. So that was an interesting question for sure. All right. Thanks, Maddie. Absolutely. This is the Collegian Week in Review. This is Lauren and I'm here with Jillian Parks, the social media manager at the Collegian. This week she wrote a few stories for the paper, um, one of them being about a new housing system that the deans just introduced called Starez. So Jillian, tell me about this new program and how it's going to help students. So this new program, like you said, is called Starez and it's a on-campus housing system for students to be able to pick their roommates, pick their living situations for the next year um, in a way that is sorted by credits and it's not done analog, it's all digital. So it'll be rolling out next Tuesday, which is going to be exciting or whatever. But what's really exciting about it is that students have a lot more autonomy in being able to choose where they want to live the following year. Roommate groups are going to be a new thing where people can choose um, the people that they want to live with, whether that be an additional roommate or if they want to get trying to get a townhouse or an off-campus house, getting the amount of people that they need and, and logging that group into the system. They also have the option to elect a head. Um, the head of the group should be the person with the most credit so that you can have the best opportunity to be able to register early. So basically students can um, play their cards right and pick people to be in their groups who have a high amount of credits to be able to get priority housing. Um, there's also a feature in which students can see each individual room, like pictures of it, alongside lists of what kind of furniture it comes with and the features of the building as a whole when they go in to register for where they want to be placed. Additionally, there's going to be a feature of roommate matching for people who don't have a group automatically where they can scroll through available roommates who are looking for a match um, and they can be paired together based off of like sleeping preferences and interests and hobbies and, and just the different ways that they can be. Um, I saw the program, I got to see a beta analysis, like a beta version of it, and it actually shows you the compatibility percentage wise between you and that person um, based off of survey answers at this little questionnaire you have to figure out. Um, through this program, students will also be registering like what which meal plan they're interested in having, and it will only show you the meal plan that you are eligible for to hopefully like reduce confusion. And um, all students will be responsible for using this program. If Even if you have off-campus permission, which I'll talk about later, you still have to go in and say, like, I'm going to be off-campus, or I'm going to go on WIP, or I'm going to be studying abroad, just so that all, the system has all of the information. And um, the system will update throughout the credit groups and the people going in to register to not show rooms that are not available so you have a, a, a clear idea of what you can register for and what you can't. I know you talked to Dean of Women, Rebecca Dell. What did she have to say about this new system? Um, she was really excited about it. She basically walked me through all the logistics of it, like the new features. Um, she assured me that there are going to be new features that are going to be rolled out throughout next year, but they wanted to get it out as soon as possible. And so these are some of the more baseline features that they've been um, toying with and are excited to launch. And you mentioned that even off-campus students and students going on WIP will be responsible for using it. So can you touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. There's just um, an opening question on the when you open the program that says like, what are your plans for next year? Are you going to be graduating? Are you going to be transferring? Or are you going to be on campus? Um, if you are attending the school, like what are your plans for living? And then you can just fill in the information from there and it will leave you alone if you are going to be off campus. I know you talked to some students while writing this article. What did they have to say? Are they excited for this? Um, some students are excited. I think generally students don't really know what it is. And so they're excited about the features that they know about, but there's just not a ton of information being good being sent out there is going to be a new email that's going to be launched soon-ish um, where all the students can get information about the housing there won't be like a messaging feature there is a messaging feature in star Res, but it won't be used by administration 
to try and the information will be going through their student emails and the school emails. Um, a lot of people are, are frustrated about the lack of communication, which I think is a valid concern, but they're, they're looking to remedy that with this new system. All right, moving on to the opinion section. You wrote a piece this week um, about the library and how the library should be as beautiful as the rest of the campus. So tell me what inspired you to write this piece, Jillian. Well, I'm in Mr. Miller's advanced writing class and he told us we had to write editorials. And I was sitting in the library kind of trying to come up with an editorial and I was so peeved because the library is not a fun place to work. And I think most people will agree with me on that one because it just, it's not a pretty library. I've been to many pretty libraries. I know it's possible to have one. We are a school that is so adamant about how much we love learning and like learning for the sake of learning. Why wouldn't we have an environment that is like central to campus and like a place that everybody wants to go and like sit in comfortable chairs and be surrounded by like really beautiful books and beautiful bookcases with like nice ambiance. But that's not at all how a Hillsdale library is. The Hillsdale library is gray and sad and I truly do not like studying in there. Um, so I wrote this piece to be like, we should really, if we care about learning as much as we think we do and we care about beauty as much as we say we do, then we ought to have a beautiful library. So that kind of sounds like a big project. Like obviously it took hundreds of thousands of dollars to construct this building um, to the way it is now. And so what's kind of, I know you presented more of a simple solution to fixing the library rather than tearing it down and building a whole new one or getting a whole bunch of really nice new furniture. So kind of explain your simple solution to how you think our library can be more pretty. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, that there are donors that still donate to the library consistently. So there is like a fund of money that's going to the library. And a lot of that obviously is being used for books, I assume. Um, but there are donors and people that are interested in funding this project. So I don't think it's an, a ridiculous goal to say, like, this is something we should, if we find the money, <laughs> we should put it into this. Um, my solution that I offered was just to hire an interior designer. Um preferably the same one that we used for the heritage room because I think the heritage room is really beautiful. Um, and it's like the place that they bring all of the tours and it's the place that people are introduced to ASAP because they're like, look at how beautiful this room is. Um, so I think that if we could just follow the theme of the heritage room, if we could like just basically fix the lighting, maybe get some better bookcases and some better chairs, more seating opportunities um, and an interior designer to come in and make the colors more cohesive and, and more uh, pleasing to the eye, I think it could be a really um, good and honorable project. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. You have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your host, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com or on Instagram and Twitter at hdalecollegian. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Weekend Review at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.